Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today we're talking about the late breaking news on Alton Sterling and more on Justice is Served. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. Hello, hello, Black Hollywood Live fans. Welcome to Justice is Served, where we're talking the latest legal stories every single week. Thank you for joining me. My name is Chelsea Galicia. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, who are also attorneys, Shaka Smith and Yemi Abayami. And we are going to start off with the heartbreaking story of another man killed by police, this time in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His name is Alton Sterling, and we are finding out about how great this incident was because of cell phone video that is coming out. I know that we're going to play the video. Um, does anybody want to say anything before we show the video, or should we play that first and then talk about our reactions and what we think is next? Yeah, let's go ahead and play it. But just, I guess, a warning to the viewers, it is quite graphic. Yeah. I, thank you for that. I mean, I, I've heard that it was, and I will be watching it with you uh, for the first time because I have, uh, man, watching... All of these videos, I think, is so necessary, but it gets very difficult emotionally after a while of seeing so many of them. So why don't we roll that, please? This video is um, taken from inside a nearby parked car. So we see them there slamming him on the roof of the car, and then they fall to the ground. Okay. Thank you. All right. So what we saw there, or if you could, because I had to turn away because I knew what was coming, is the officers, two of them, tased him. And then uh, one of them found a gun in his pocket. His hands were already, you know, controlled, like hand behind him. Couldn't access it. So a cop then pulled out his gun. And then we hear, I think, a total of uh, five to seven shots. Yeah. Um, all of this started over what? Well, uh, it seems like an anonymous call came in saying that they'd seen a man threaten someone with a gun. Um, but Alton Sterling was out there selling music as he, as he had typically done before. Yeah, so I understand that Alton regularly for the last couple of years sold CDs in front of a convenience store with the owner of the convenience store's permission. Yeah. In fact, the convenience mm-hmm. store owner said that five minutes before this happened, the two of them had been exchanging, teasing, joking around, uh, and this happened right outside the front of the convenience store. Um, I, we do not know what happened between the time that the cops rolled up and the footage starts, you know, rolling. Um, but I don't know what could have happened in that time that would justify this. Can you think of anything? I mean, it's it's hard to tell. You hear some audio in the video where the officers scream, or someone screams. You hear someone scream, he's got a gun. And I think at one point you might hear something like taser. Um, and then you hear one of the officers say, you know, if, if you move, I swear to God, zone, uh, something like that. Uh, so... It's hard to know 
exactly what was like I don't know it's hard to know exactly what was happening or but, what they yeah. thought they heard or saw or who and who said what as well but from that um, video I would say it looked like a man that was restrained yeah and and most of the time when I hear a man with a gun is involved in a police altercation yeah I, I'm, I'm a little bit more respectful to the more, police yeah. uh, whatever they believed of the situation at the time and Shaki, you were saying usually yeah. you do too. Yeah, I tend to give them more deference. You know, I, I let them judge the situation. There's someone with a gun with a deadly weapon. But from that video, what I saw was someone that had been duly restrained and in a matter of moments was dead. Yeah. And I imagine that some people will say, well, he was a convicted felon. He should not have had a gun. And that's correct. It was against the law for him to have a gun. But the punishment for unlawfully carrying a weapon is not immediately shot to death on sight. Um, so that would not be a justification for this. Yeah, and I'm curious to know, I wish the video had started earlier, knowing that the call had come in saying that this person is armed, he has a gun. I'm curious as to whether, since this, I assume he was standing on the street selling his CDs, as an officer, I would imagine you approach them, you know, we've got a call, do you have anything on you? If so, like, you know, slowly, you know, reach yeah. into your, I don't know how police officers manage those situations, but I, I w- would like to know, was there a conversation that took place yeah. when they approached the scene, kind of acknowledging, we know you have a gun, so this is how we yeah. want you to deal with it, um, versus just kind of trying to taser him and bring him down to the ground and restrain him, um, those to me can easily lead to two My very sense of situations. the situation from what I've read is that when police got there, they talked to him and he was trying to say, what did I do wrong? And police officers were probably not responding to the question he had or, or not kind of treating him civilly. So he may have, you know, resisted whatever his instructions that he was given by the officers when he's trying to find out what have I done? Please tell me what did I do wrong? And then so they're just not communicating and then uh, it it gets heightened, yeah. escalated. I think we may get um, some more video because I believe they seized the surveillance footage of the actual um, place that he was outside um, yeah. selling the CD. So at least we'll, as we might have now, clear video. Yeah, as of now, there have been two different um, versions or uh, perspectives, two different copies of the video. Yeah. And then they expect surveillance from the, the convenience store. Um, and then also... The police officers had body cams, but they became dislodged. So it remains to be seen whether that will be useful at all, but uh, clearly it's time for some better adhesive uh, for those yeah. cameras. There's, there's also um, footage from the dash cam, the dashboard of the of the police car, car as well. So it looks like they'll at least be getting footage from multiple angles. And hopefully not in some delayed process months from now, but uh, soon. That will be the thing to I mean, we, the governors come out and say, <clears throat> you know, this video is disturbing. And, you know, they all do the whole full investigation, yada, 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 that we're all so used to by now. I guess the question will be, like, how long is this full investigation going to take? Are yeah. we still going to be talking about this a year? from now um, or is this something where something's going to be done quickly I think it has to because we've had so many delays with past cases and the DOJ is involved right away here so hopefully on that end we'll get things released uh, a lot quicker this is uh, really sad heartbreaking news we we see the the son uh, his 15 year old son sobbing desperate so sad um, about you know the loss of his father Uh, so at least we we know of one one child who will have some 
some grounds for a civil rights um, claim against the the officers, the department, mm-hmm. uh, which of course will never bring his dad back, but is a legal remedy in this situation, which is, I mean, it's so bad that that's all we can offer here is um, some money. And if it's consistent with what we've seen in other other states, it may be something on the order of like four or five million dollars. It's kind of sad now that by now I kind of know the going rate yeah. for, you know, murder. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so we will, of course, um, keep you updated on all the um, breaking legal news in the Alton Sterling case. We will move on now to um, a very different kind of case. Um, Jay-Z's former engineer is in the news for filing a monster of a lawsuit, uh, 200-some-odd million dollars. Um, the amount was just so much that I was like, I can't even take this guy seriously. What's he suing for? Well, he's suing to, he's claiming that he has partial ownership of these recordings that I guess they recorded back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and so he's saying that he he's suing for partial copyright ownership, that he's owed money on on these on these recordings. Um, Jay-Z is arguing that uh, that he has ownership of these recordings and that... But uh, the thing is, wasn't this whole... Dis- there was a legal dispute about the ownership of the masters and the engineer named uh, Chauncey Mann lost. Yeah. Okay, so what is he? What is he upset about? Well, the what he lost was on the basis of that he took too long. So if he's still alleging some sort of fraud on behalf of Jay Z and so he lost his ownership rights, his copyright it, rights, ba- basically any, any claim that he could have made to it. Yes, because he waited fourteen years to assert legal claim. Yeah. Okay, and then, but he's still upset with LAPD, NYPD. Rock Nation lawyers, studio, and suing all of them for tens of millions of dollars. Why? Uh, the the only basis I could think of would be something to do with negligence of <laughs> not not maybe placing his name uh, on these masters, and somehow not acknowledging that but he the, was he part says of the that process. They, they, the police, LAPD and NYPD, I'm not sure how they colluded well, on this, took the physical recordings and have failed to this day to give them back and so he's suing for 10 million dollars i mean have you 10 million dollars you don't even get that if you die right (laughs) so i don't understand why this is why this makes no sense to me and i was hoping somebody here could straighten this out because you know suing as to the studio owner who is suing for 20 million dollars i would imagine it must be a negligence claim for somehow not acknowledging that he was an owner on those masters that's probably the only claim I could see. Okay, but these people are getting really ridiculous. Then, when people sue for $220 million, $10 million well, LAPD, $10 million NYPD. Well, you have to remember, these are some of Jay-Z's most popular recordings that have earned tens of millions of dollars. It doesn't matter how much they're worth. The so, LAPD doesn't I mean, the, the value to the NYPD and NYPD doesn't depend on if he thinks how they profitable some, they were to If Jay-Z. he believes they somehow thwarted his ownership interest in this and cost him that money, absolutely. So, or wrongfully yeah. took possession of it from him. Because how the LAPD came into possession of these um, these masters was through a sting operation with in coordination with Jay-Z. And at the time, they were seized by oh, LAPD. Well, now we're getting interesting here. <laughs> so at the time, the LAPD seized this. Chauncey, um, Chauncey Mann did not know that they were going to be seizing these tapes. So he may have some claims in relationship to the, um, I guess, the legal procedure of the seizure. Okay. And getting them back. But yeah. 
You don't see. Okay, good luck. I mean, Ooh. I just don't. I just don't see it. Am I missing something here? Well, what's interesting is that so it's it sounds like he Chauncey was supposed to meet Jay Z at this storage facility to exchange the, the these masters for an amount of either a hundred thousand dollars or seventy thousand um, dollars. It's unclear how much how much, and so that was all Chauncey allegedly was asking for in the first place. So yeah, where this. Um, two hundred million dollar claim comes from it's it's such a huge, such a huge leap. Okay, and I understand people get really pissed off, and then by the time people file a claim, they're like just done. They <laughs> they feel I imagine that they feel like they've tried every last like non legal way to deal with things, and then they go to get a lawyer and file the claim, and by that point they like get way dramatic with it and then they lose all credibility to people like me like good luck with that when he may, may very well have a valid basis for the underlying claim yeah. but then mm-hmm. he blows it up so much that nobody could take this seriously well, well, that's the thing why wait 14 years before you claim that you're uh, I mean, that you have ownership of it or that you're owed well, I imagine he didn't even it. think he had to well we're certainly missing a lot of details here in this yeah. case but uh well, what has not been decided is his claims on a legal basis so that's will be something to look forward to If it's not thrown out procedurally. (laughs) All right. In other legal music news, we're talking about Jerry Heller's defamation case. So last August, can't believe it's almost been a year now that the Straight Outta Compton movie came out. Jerry Heller, who was the group's manager, um, didn't see the movie before we all saw it, didn't know what was going to be in it, wasn't consultant, wasn't advised. He said he paid, you know, 40-some-odd dollars to go see the movie on August 15th like the rest of us did. And he was really hurt by what he saw in the movie. (laughs) He said he reviewed it frame by frame for hours with an attorney and felt that some of the scenes were so egregious that he needed to protect his good reputation and name and sue for defamation uh, of the producers and the studio and, you know, everybody associated with it. Um, Some of the scenes that he didn't like, he didn't like that lobster brunch scene. He claims that he's never had lobster brunch. (laughs) Uh, What other scenes do you remember that he didn't like? Something about not allowing... Uh, not giving somebody a check. Right, not giving Ice Cube a check for $75,000. There's a scene where he's saying that not to involve the lawyers in the signing of this, in the in the deal, yeah. that, you know, lawyers will only complicate the matter and, and raise problems. Right. Just go ahead and sign it. So a federal judge this week tossed out most of the specific um, scenes or complaints that he felt were defamatory, but the judge left two of them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, which ones were those? I think one of them was the one that Yemi was just talking about, right? Yeah, yeah they were both, well, both of them were related, related to, to um, re- related to the allegation that Jerry Heller encouraged uh, encouraged them to not sign, to not involve a lawyer. Right, saying that lawyers contract. are made, to, are paid to make trouble. Wonder where we got that idea from. And but, then I think the other scene involved Ice Cube talking to a reporter about whether or not you know to involve a lawyer. And so so both of them it was were, like the publication of that that meeting. Got it. Okay, and, so and, those are the only two. Yeah. All right. Um, but I found it interesting that Judge did say that that scene did not give allow the viewer to see Jerry Heller in a positive or even a neutral light. And that that would cause a manager in the business to actually have a bad reputation. So he did pick a scene that he found met the standard for um, 
for suing for this defamation claim. So he's allowing it to go forward. This isn't a finding that it is defamatory, but that there's enough uh, of a question for it to go forward. Well, if not true, it's certainly defamatory. All right. So the next step or legal hurdle that Jerry has to prove is this malicious intent. Mm -hmm. Well, so he has to pr- prove two things. One, that it didn't happen. And then because it is a matter of public interest and he's kind of a limited public figure, he also has to show uh, malice. So that the, the writers intentionally wrote this scene in the in the production. To make him look maliciously bad. Maliciously to, make him, to make him look bad. Any idea, thoughts on that part of the well, case he has to prove? Well, you know, showing some sort of bad blood between him and the group and then having to then show that that bad blood led to them putting it in the script might be very difficult. He might, I mean, unless he's able to see some sort of emails or communication that indicates so, and then proving something didn't happen is always, always tough to prove. Yeah, and I thought this was really weird because I was looking back through some of the scenes that he was really upset about, and one of those scenes was that he didn't like that um, it showed Eazy-E fired him, and he's like, no, that's not true. That never happened. But that's one of the claims that the judge tossed. So based on what the judge judge tossed out i do it doesn't seem that what jerry's been saying has been holding up Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't be surprised if this goes nowhere but i mean i think there's enough publication out there and enough writings about that time that time period and interviews that he might be able to find enough stuff to make a make a claim so i think that's right in terms of there's a lot of information out there people have written memoirs there are articles um, including jerry's yeah yes and and nwa has spoken about their relationship uh with their manager so there's definitely information out there i think you know i think it might be difficult as you said to prove a negative and show them saying no of course jerry always advised us to sign contracts with the advice of a lawyer lawyer. it's hard to or if a lawyer that they did hire says oh i was recommended by jerry heller you know Mm -hmm. then that's really going to kind of cut against that scene so it'll be a high bar to reach but i don't think it's impossible yeah Mm -hmm. there's always i feel a concern about limiting writers and producers first amendment rights especially that this has been a topic that's been so prevalent um in the industry people just you know take an interest to this topic um it's it's hard to say that you know a producer or a writer can't offer their opinion or their take on what on what happened. If every opinion was then subject to like a de- well, no, well, that's why we're going to have that um, actual malice requirement. So you know they now still have to show even if it didn't happen that they yeah. really were like we want to screw Jerry Heller here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So now let's um, toss this back over to Yummy for some fabulous words from our sponsor that allow this show to be brought to you free each and every week. (laughs) For those of you who haven't heard about FreshBooks, listen up. These folks are on a serious mission to help small business owners save time and avoid a lot of the stress that comes with running their business. It all starts with pain-free invoicing for freelancers and small business owners. FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices extremely simple. Crazy fast. Using FreshBooks, it can take about 30 seconds to create and send an invoice. Get paid online. FreshBooks gives your clients tons of ways to pay you online by credit card, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. In fact, customers get paid five days faster on average. Instant notifications. See whether or not your client has looked at the invoice the second they view it. So no more excuses from your clients saying they never received it. (laughs) That's important. (laughs) Late payment reminders. FreshBooks can send late payment reminders to your clients automatically so that you don't have to. Deposits. 
You can also use the FreshBooks deposit feature to invoice payment up front when kicking off your project. Custom branding. You can add your logo and color scheme so that your invoice reflects your brand. That's just the invoicing part. FreshBooks has so many other features to help keep you organized and streamline the business side. You have time tracking. FreshBooks will also handle your time tracking so when it comes time to create an invoice, you know what you, know what you did and when you did it. Expenses. FreshBooks keeps track of your expenses ridiculously simple. No more boxes full of receipts. Bank import. Automatically import and categorize your expenses directly from your online banking system. Also, their mobile app lets you take photos of your receipts and FreshBooks organizes, organizes them later. It can create expense reports for you and also makes claiming expenses at tax time a breeze. You can see everything which clients still owe you, so in which invoices have been paid and how your business is doing right on the dashboard when you log in. There's also reports and, and, and analytics. You can know your financial numbers at a glance. FreshBooks makes it easy to generate detailed reports so you can find out who's slow to pay and breeze through tax time. FreshBooks integrates with over 30 add-ons that will make running your business even easier. And customer support. Our award-winning customer support will help you with any questions. No phone trees or robots, just a real live person when you call. FreshBooks is offering a 30 days, FreshBooks is offering 30 days of unrestricted use to all of our listeners, totally free right now, and you don't need a credit card to sign up. To claim your 30-day free free trial, go to freshbooks.com forward slash geek, that's G-E-E-K, pardon me, (laughs) and enter Geek Nerd Tech in the How You Heard About Us section. Okay, great. They do a lot of things, yeah. Thank you so much, FreshBooks. Extensive. All right, and now turning to, I guess, a segment I'm calling Politics and the Law. Let's talk about uh, Shaka's favorite first lady, Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Yesterday, the FBI recommended no charges in this ongoing saga. It's been over a year that they've been looking into her use of a private server um, for email use. Actually, there were several servers, and about whether she was skirting the rules and um, you know, passing classified um, emails over this server at, when she was Secretary of State and whether that put us at risk. Um, there was a whole hoop to, I mean, people were anticipating any day now the FBI is going to indict her. No charges. Is this fair compared to other um, figures, you know, in, on sort of on her level to be? Uh, looked at or scrutinized in this way. Is she getting special treatment, or you think, oh, this is pretty, um, this is pretty fair? I guess we'll, we'll no bias, but we'll ask Shaka yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, no bias at all. Um, I think we'd all expected this, or a lot of us expect this for quite some time now, based on who they actually had gone for. Expected that there was going to be, be no, no charges. Yeah, I don't know. Ba- I was wondering, well, maybe, maybe well, based on precedent. Based on precedent. Okay. And so we had seen with General David Petraeus. Um, that they actually, he was indicted on for this, a felony. Well, this was a, like a huge, yeah. like head honcho in the military, right? He led the efforts in Afghanistan, yeah. right? Yeah. And he was a very well-respected general. And then he, we come to find out, not only had an affair, but he gave that 
lady. A classified, like, diary of classified information. Right. His biographer. Uh, and, and, and his biographer turned, turned lover. Turned lover, yes. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yes. And then he, lied to, then he lied to federal investigators about the whole incident. So that's mm-hmm. the closest sort of person that we have to compare this Hillary Clinton story to. Yeah, and in the past, the um, indictment for that kind of um, malfeasance, they always carried this extra, this extra malice, essentially, um, requirement. And so that that one was the most recent that came close to marrying what Hillary Clinton people were alleging took place. So what happened in that case, I mean, that was like a really egregious violation of, like, the protection of classified information. Yeah, it was he, like, handed specifically over to someone else. And, and on top of that, and then lied about it to yeah, the FBI. when they asked him about it. So then he was indicted on felony yeah. charges. However, he was able to plead it down to a misdemeanor. So he got a misdemeanor for that, and so that call, no wonder Hillary yeah. got nothing. No, well, <laughs> I, would, I would call that a little bit of special treatment, but when you look at the cases they've looked at in the past, they've, they've all been that egregious, if not more. Um, so where, where they're making false statements to the FBI the, yeah. or trying to cover up information. And they specifically handed over these classified documents to another person who was not, you intentionally. know. Intentionally. And not over a server where they may have been, been hacked. Or, okay. So. Well, I guess an argument could be made because she's been going around for all these months now saying that there were no transmissions of classified information over these servers. But... Which is incorrect, because in- there was definitely classified information. Yeah. Yeah. and We don't know, know how much. We, just, we do know how we, much, yeah. I, I heard just the only detail about the number was just a small amount. No, 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 so Jane, the, the, oh, yeah. in terms of how many, so I think there were about 30,000 emails. I think about 100 of them contained classified information. And that's distinguished from the quote-unquote small number of emails that were marked classified at the time that she received and sent those emails. So, so we, so we do know that that number that were marked is apparently less than 110. Okay. And so, <laughs> no, no, so it's not a lie if you reasonably believe it to be true at the time you're oh, telling. Oh, I it. don't know. This is a very interesting no, interpretation no. of what does a lie mean. Well, well, I mean, because she was she was she mistaken. But how do you go for months and months and months saying? The same thing over and over. Well, no classified emails were delivered over that server. And I think didn't at yeah. some point she kind of shift her speaking in terms of saying, no, okay, no, no classified information was sent versus there was nothing that was marked classified. Well, in, in well, either case, it's both. But I mean, she's maintained that nothing she ever sent or received at the time was sent or received was marked classified. But, and, this, but this report and, shows that that's not the case. Yeah, and so, but legally, as long as you have a reasonable belief of something to be true and you say that thing a reasonable belief that it's true. And so the question would be, is it a reasonable belief that she didn't send her classified items that were marked classified if that number is less than 110 out of the thousands of emails she sent to Secretary of State over those years? And for me, I say yes. Yeah, I don't know if I'm on the same page. Yeah, I don't know that I would agree with that either. I mean, they said that it's just extreme carelessness. I mean, that's a... That's a lot. But so, if they and, had that found a re- she, and that a reasonable person probably would not would, would have known better, essentially. No, right. Anybody else in her department or on her um, that would have done this, they would have at least been fired. She wasn't fired no, for I'm this. I'm just talking about with regards to whether or not she's lying about saying she never sent or received classified information. Does she have a reasonable belief that she never sent or received um, classified information? If they find that less than 110 emails over the course of the thousands she received and sent as Secretary of State were marked classified... I believe it's a reasonable belief to, for her to believe she never did. 
Uh, and that's I, the only huh. standard that would be think, there for a, a prosecution. For me, if they didn't I believe think, that, they would have prosecuted her. I think it depends on what type of information are we talking about. Because we have this, so there's classified information, and they're at different levels. You have secret, you have top secret, you have you know confidential. Yeah. So is it reasonable, something that's top secret, you probably know at the time that you're sending it, this is not, well, this is a problem. She, she Versus mean, something that might just be confidential, maybe there is... Maybe maybe you didn't realize how you know how big how big we are slicing this really really thin. But I think if we're talking about reasonableness, I think that matters because it's hard for me to say that you can receive top secret information and not realize that you're sending it. So if if do you believe that if you received less than a hundred emails that were marked classified? Well, I don't know. I've never received a classified email, but I would. I would think that I would take them seriously, even if there were two or a hundred. No, no. If you received a hundred over the course of several years, and the pool of emails is sixty, seventy thousand emails that you you know you're sending back and forth, is it reasonable to believe you never saw, don't remember having received those emails? I think so, because that small subset over the course of years. So that's I guess we can go back and forth. So I mean, so legally, it doesn't look like this is going to amount to anything. If they had believed she lied, then she would have been indicted. Mm -hmm. So I think they took the same analysis. The the DOJ is probably not going to go near this. Although there's been a little bit of a, um, a little bit, a lot of a controversy about. Um, Attorney General Loretta Lynch meeting up with yeah mm-hmm. Bill Clinton at the tournament, which was just stupid, especially you know optics wise, just absolutely stupid. But she of did them say to meet up. yeah, of course. And so she did say at the time though she'd be following the FBI's recommendation. All right, so so this is done and over in <clears throat> the legal sense of and, of and, course the court of public opinion will probably yeah. not ever be done yeah, with this. Donald and, Trump will probably see. Some, I mean, I'm sure he already trying, has seen it. Crooked Hillary, it's rigged. And also Jake Sullivan, Huma Abedin, and Cheryl Mills, her aides also cleared, so we know that that was a big, you know, okay. <laughs> wide net that was cast. Great well, news for her. If, if she wins, I mean, if she wins the election and, <clears throat> you know, is back in the White House, I just hope that she will take more care with the information that she's receiving. Yeah, and we do know that as a result that they, those particular aides may not be cleared for certain levels of clearance, possibly due to this whole, um, oh. so it may affect their future administrative work. Interesting. All right. Uh, another... Um, interesting cross in politics and the law. So you may have heard by now that there's a lot of dark money flooding our politics, which means a lot of money from sort of unknown secret hidden sources coming in to fund elections, support uh, certain uh, candidates, and either to support that candidate or really to bury the other one. And I think a lot of people don't know. So oh, yeah. okay. So this is welcome to your dark money lesson of the day. But yeah. me personally, I, I believe that this is one of like the biggest issues in our generation is to end the corrupt influence of money on our politics. So I was really fascinated to find an article that says that it's because of a landmark civil rights case that these dark money donors are hiding behind. So it turns out that they're using this case from 1958. It was NAACP versus Alabama. This was the Supreme Court decision that allowed the NAACP to withhold the names and information of their members. Because if you, I don't, I was going to say if you remember the 1950s, but I wasn't around for that. <laughs> what I understand was happening in the 1950s were things like lynching, the KKK was burning crosses, these kind of really serious, violent, dangerous things were happening to people who were trying to fight for their civil rights. And so when the government wanted the name of 
the members of the NAACP, NAACP sued. They said no, took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said that the First Amendment right to speech and a free association... And a private pr- association. Yeah. ...protects the, the NAACP from releasing these names. Yeah. So now these organizations like... Americans for Prosperity, which is a um, Coke back uh, monstrosity, and um, <laughs> and other similar organizations are using that case to fight off having to be named um, that they're contributing. Disclose money. your wealthy donors. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, what did you think when you were seeing this? Did you think, well, this is like a fair application of a civil rights case to dark money? Yeah, you know, initially I, I did think it was a fair application. If anybody thought this was fair, I thought well, for sure you might well, think it was fair. <laughs> no, initially I did think it was fair because the, the, the first case, NAACP versus Alabama, was predicated upon the violence that was taking place um, with a lot of the members uh, or with you know against black people at this time. And the defense here was, we get a lot of death threats. We get these very serious threats that we need to address. And the judge said, I'd rather not wait for something to happen and do this. And I thought that was a very interesting ruling. So it's sort of a protective measure because these dark money entities are being... Harassed or and the threatened. I don't know. That was diff- I, well, I didn't like that myself, just because you're talking about like actual violence, like you know, bombings, shootings, uh, various types of reprisals. Think, yeah. Versus, um, I think it was reported that the Cook brothers, you know, received a, a, a Twitter something to their Twitter account saying that you know I'll, I'll kill you. I think it's but that that is the the new kind of terror I, in some ways that might lead to actual reprisals. I just think there's a difference between you know everyone these days has like a that likes to puff their chest behind social media and say things that they and, and say things or claim they would do things that they're just never going to do. It's to me, it just feels terrible comparing that to actual real violence that was uh, visited upon upon these individuals in the NAACP. I, personally. I, I do agree in some respects, but I, I did. I just like the reasoning of seeing very serious threats and the judge saying, I'm not going to wait and allow this to take place. However, I did kind of change my mind because I had lost... Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I had lost the context of the time. And to me, what was a more salient argument by the NAACP, um, the president spoke about it, was that not only were there just like general violence, but the state was going to take these lists and give it to the KKK. They were going to give these lists to the employers. So they weren't just going to take these lists in and maybe publish them anywhere. They were going to use these, like, particularly to hurt On these purpose. members. Yeah. Yes. And so With that... malicious intent to yeah. cause harm to these people. And we forget those are the things that were happening at the time that made that rise to what I think is a higher level um, of kind of danger for those members. Yeah. And so we don't have that here in that case. And upon that distinguishment is why I think um, this may be may have been decided incorrectly. Yeah, because usually I'm all for the creative use of, of case law in one area impacting that of another. In this one, I was like kind of offended, um, maybe because I, I think this dark money issue is, is so terrible and not at all like protecting people who mm-hmm. were just trying to claim the rights that they should have already been able to exercise. Yami, did you have any other thoughts about why <laughs> I think we both think that this is ridiculous, <laughs> that they're using this case? Um, but case law's got to wash both ways. So, uh, you know, and I, I think that's probably the good thing about the legal system is that it can wash both ways over time. 
And so it's kind of an equitable system, even if it looks not, you know, if it looks partisan but at times. In, in this case, are, are they even speaking about, because I, I, I thought it was that this would just be a disclosure to the IRS, for example, not necessarily a public disclosure even. Oh, still. yeah, because that's a whole other aspect of this story, that these foundations, these, like, nonprofits mm-hmm. are amassing millions of dollars to give and, and because nonprofits are not supposed to be political and but they're skirting all sorts of rules around that and they're, so yeah this but, is a, another reason why yeah. I'm and their claims not that cool these these filings that are supposed to be private are routinely disclosed that are routinely ending up public but, is, is it routinely <laughs> I mean I think that I, I know that there ha, there has been an interest where maybe donor lists have been up briefly and you know they rectified the situation and took it down I don't know how common it is. Yeah. I, don't, um, but I, don't, I don't know that that means that, you know, there just should be no disclosures whatsoever. And I also think we should be looking at the net effect. Like, the effect of releasing the NAACP members' names was was to purposely create a dangerous situation. Yeah. Yeah. The purpose of keeping secret these dark-moneyed names is to protect corruption. Yeah, and I, I don't agree with the decision, but I, I do have sympathy with the fact that as, if I were a donor and I'd seen these sort of threats... I would be happy that I felt protected in that way. All right, fine. So I have some sympathy for that. <laughs> I mean, until we get money out of politics, we, we can hope for, you know, voter engagement, people voting and actually looking behind the pretty ads and, you know, whatever. I can go on and on forever, so I'm going to stop myself now and talk about another fascinating um, article that we found on a journalist. This was on Mother Jones. A journalist went undercover for four months at a private prison posing as a corrections officer and wrote a really seriously amazing article that I encourage you to check out. He um, went undercover at CCA, which was one of the two of the largest private prison, I think it's like Corrections Corporation of America, that they, these are, are like billion-dollar publicly traded companies. So did you know you can, you know, from the comfort of your own home, go on the New York Stock Exchange and invest in a, in a private prison? And apparently it's pretty profitable. They're making about $3,300 a year in profit per prisoner. They're, uh, these private prisons have these like um, guaranteed, um, what do they call them? Guaranteed occupancy rates. So that the government has to pay the company even if there are a, the beds open. Um, I mean, these are just some of the crazy things that the private prison lobby has been able to do because of the undue influence of money in politics. Oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> um, but what were the things that you saw in this article that were particularly shocking or disturbing to you that this guy experienced as he went undercover? Well, I mean, I think you mentioned one part of it was just all of the money that is present in these private correctional facilities, how much money that they can make just by having um, a a prisoner present. Like in one year, 2015, the CEO made $3.4 million, which is 19 times the salary of the director of the federal Bureau of Prisons. So huge money to be made. A lot of money to be made and kind of this perverse incentive to keep keep the uh, keep these prisons full and how do you do that you know kind of by maybe over policing or over sentencing people and, and things like that so and then once they're in there you any like good um, do you remember that part in the article where the the some guy acted up and so he went for a trial right mm-hmm. but it was within the prison and that prison 
that that trial, which was over in two minutes, took away any like early release for good behavior, mm-hmm. right? Well, and then that made the prison an extra thousand bucks because now he would be there an extra thirty days. So it incentivizes the prison to take away like education. There were no uh, access or barely any access to like the law library. What you want is to create unsophisticated, non-educated people to go out into the world and create you know, be forced to commit another crime and so that they can come back to your prison. Um, I think this is totally wrong. Anybody else think differently? Well, well, we did have that one um, talk about if you're going to have private prisons, you need to give prisoners choice because when you actually have choice in the market, then things get better in the marketplace. Yeah, because you'd raise that interesting question like, okay, if private prisons are wrong, why aren't private hospitals wrong? And I was like, well, because for a hospital, we all have a choice as to which hospital we want to yeah. go to. And if we hear of one... Lowering their standard of care to save money, then no one's going to go to that hospital. Right. And yeah. so they have to keep up and they have to spend the money to make the quality uh, stay high. In a prison, people don't get a choice. Yeah. They don't get a choice. And also, I mean, one of the things that this reporter talked about a lot was just the, the way that they were cutting costs all the time. There were um, certain guards at other other prisons making th- you know three dollars more an hour than these prisons here, or there were certain areas that were unmanned. I think the um, the watchtower, for example. Oh my god, it was, was so un- this un- thing unmanned. sounds so dangerous. I mean, yeah. it sounded like Orange is the New Black yeah, in real but, life, but worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so that anywhere they could cut costs and increase that you know profit profit per inmate. They were it's doing just so. It's so disgusting that we are profiting and off and of at, prisoners. And then that's at the expense of the safety of the prisoners. And it's because at the it's expense. private, you actually have that duty to your shareholders to cut those costs. And, it's a weird hmm. incentive. And the argument that it actually saves taxpayers money is actually a, a wash. Between the studies that show it actually increases it or decreases it, if it does decrease it, it's so minimal that it cannot justify the way that we're treating human beings like animals, really. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Justice is Served. My name is Chelsea Galicia. You can tweet uh, me at Chelsea Galicia. My name is Shaka Strong. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Shaka Strong. My name is Yemia Bayami. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ayemia. And don't forget to join us again next week for another episode of Justice is Served. Take care, everyone. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, We would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Hollywood Redefined. Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.